publicly for the first time in my adult life. There's a segment of people that have met me publicly as an entrepreneur and a person and a human, right? Most times the public introduction has been pastor. And although I feel like, nah, pastor, like, it makes me human because I'm just forced to wrestle with a bunch of different perspectives of different people pastoring. It doesn't make me less human. It actually makes me more human. But the perception of people is that it makes me less. So being introduced as a pastor just it narrows in you. people's minds. It narrows. Oh, it just immediately. Yeah. It just pigeonholes you. Yes. Mm-hmm. And as an and so, entrepreneur and a creative, you get to be you. Yes. That's and that's beautiful. been liberating and yeah. freeing and fun. And fun. Yeah. So fun. Yeah. You gotta bring up our fight. I mean, I'm usually right, but that's cool. <laughs> it's not gonna happen. Never, no way. Let's go back. Don't share that story. Hang on, did I go too fast? You just jumped to purpose, which is you. You're what a visionary. I see your connection I'm... here. <laughs> Love or work. Welcome to the Love or Work Podcast. This is Jeff. And I'm Andre. Back in the studio with you, my best friend. Oh, you're so sweet. Yeah, speaking of best you friends. You weren't really feeling that, though, this morning, were you? Speaking of best friends, let me tell you something that I figured out today. Yes. <laughs> After 18 years, I figured this out. Uh-huh. So we have a driveway, a one car. I mean, you can fit lots of cars, but it's one wide. Is that yep. how you would say it? One car. So you kind of have to, you know, you line them up one after another. And so. What happened, Dave? What are you so upset about? Well, it all kind of came to a head today. Because what we finally have realized is that you strategically, I'm not trying to blame you, but I'm calling you out. Oh. You have an amazing ability to strategically place the car that has no gas in the back of the driveway so that when I have to leave or you've somehow figured out how to line up all the cars so that I'm the only one that ever fills up the gas tank. And you leave me this morning. Let's be crystal clear. This morning. How much Our gas car could go left? three miles. Oh, that was a good one. It was on empty. I usually try to leave it at, well, to be fair, when I did actually think about leaving it for you, there was 32 miles. <laughs> and that was on t- so the, a few the, days the ago. The gas light went on and Andre's like, how do I line this up? So yes. has to do it. But there was 32. So I'm so- just calling you out. On something. <laughs> Let me tell you what I'm calling you out. Of. It's not about the gas. It's not about the gas at all. Oh, it's not? It's about how you're proliferating gender roles in (laughs) relation to filling up the cars. I don't think that has anything to do. Gender roles has nothing to do with gas. It has everything to do with everything you're doing right now. No, the only thing I care about is that I don't want to fill up the gas. That's it. It's just me. It's like preference of Andre. Right. I don't want to fill up the gas. Now, I don't know if that's a preference for all women because I think all women, there are lots of women that like to go to gas stations. You know, you get your snacks, you get away. Hey, kids, you stay here. I got to go get the gas. You know, you get out of the house. You could get some coffee, bad coffee, but you can leave the house is the point. So I don't necessarily feel that this is an all woman gender thing, but I will be crystal clear that this is an Andre Schinnebarger thing. I do not like gas stations. I do not like filling up gas and I refuse to do it. So if I found (laughs) a way to never be in the house when it was time for any meal. (laughs) Because you don't like meals. What are you talking about? No, no, no. You know what I'm saying? If I said it just like you did, I'm like, I found a way to whenever there needs to be a meal cooked that I wasn't in the house, <laughs> you would be like, oh, no, this isn't Jeff genderizing things. <laughs> it's just that he doesn't personally like to cook. Yeah, I'll tell you one great example. What about you not folding laundry? Yeah. That is Jeff's preference. He does not like to fold laundry. You know that's true about you. Anyway, so here's the deal. <laughs> I'm not trying, trying to, to go off. I'm not trying to beat a dead horse here. You know what I mean? I'm just what but I'm I tra- did leave you with three miles, and that's a little too less. That's well, that's 
too little. Just out of clarity, when was the last time you ever filled out a car? Like, uh, how many times do you think in 2020 you filled up a car? 2020? I ride my bike to work. I shouldn't have to fill up a car. <laughs> you should be filling up the cars. Well, now that we're all on the same page. Uh, and I, I'd love for you to talk about this with your partner. What? Find some unique thing. No, this is just going to get them in a fight. That... This is just going to cause fights, y'all. We got to stop. We're not fighting. <laughs> we're actually, we're kind of flirting. It's cute. I mean, in, in short, you need me. I'm glad. You, you need me. I, <laughs> Jeff Schenenberger, I need you to fill up the gas. Well, why didn't you just say it like that? For the rest of our lives. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's talk about our Andre interview today. I need you to fold all the laundry for the rest of <laughs> no, our lives. No, I refuse. <laughs> <laughs> it's the worst. Okay. Okay, let's talk about our interview today. Awesome interview. Um, I am not even going to try with this last name. And I know that they know that I know that this isn't going to happen. <laughs> and we've known them for a lot of years. So we're just going to say that this is John and Chandra O or Chandra and John O. Because yeah, what's funny is we call him John, John O. o. But we would never say Chandra O. Right? No. So let's it's just, just say it's Chandra and John O. <laughs> and uh, they are the co-founders of Portrait Coffee. Uh, John O is also a pastor at Cornerstone Church here in Atlanta, and has his own podcast called Four in the Morning, which is this idea of how do you have hope in the darkness? And Chandra is this creative genius. God, I love her. Uh, her company is called chromacreative.co. So you can look up her stuff. She's brilliant. I mean, these guys are starting something new every other month. Let's be honest. And I mean, Portrait I don't know. Coffee, please look up this story. It's please amazing. Please look up this Great organization. Coffee. Incredibly tasting coffee. Well, yes. it's perfect. But in, in addition to that. A narrative. The narrative they're sharing is is really powerful. All right, so Jeff, what should we be listening for? Number one, the line you never want to hear from your partner. It's fine. <laughs> it's it's fine. It's fine. Uh, number two, apparently John had a little history. Oh. Right? Yeah, he yeah. did. I, I, I can't believe you brought that up. Okay. What's the number three? Number three, this isn't funny, but this is a setup for the interview. This interview is so Good. I promise you. I cried. Why are you kidding? <laughs> this was my moment. Oh, sorry. Sorry. This was my moment to set up <laughs> the drama of the conversation. And you just cut me off. It's kind of like. Keep going, babe. Go ahead. It, it's kind of like how go I ahead. feel when I pull out of the. When I go out the front door and you've given me a car. <laughs> Three miles of gas left. With okay. no gas. You steal. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Go ahead, babe. Go ahead. I don't even I'll know what quiet. to say now. I'll be quiet. You're setting it up. This interview, it will cause you to cry. It's like it doesn't even, it doesn't even do. <laughs> you just said what it's I said. vulnerable. It's, I don't even know what to say now. I had a whole plan. <laughs> I just. Lord almighty. Stole it This is me. what happens. Okay. There were lots of tears in this interview. So be ready for those tears. And we. And be ready to hear a story of two incredible people that are. Working it out every yeah, day. Yeah. It's amazing. All right. Here we go. We got Chandra and John O. We'll see if John will be honest. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. There's not a lot of time. This isn't the like introductory, we're at dinner, the banter back and forth. So we can. We can be honest. Uh, we can be honest. Because John, <laughs> his, that's, his, that's a good place is to normally start what? with honesty. No, there mine is usually when I tell it, it's over dinner and there's the obligatory like oh yeah we met she fell madly in love two years later we were married like ha 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 okay what's the real story right but that's not the real story and this isn't the place for that so uh (laughs) let's hear the real we were in college and we met through a mutual friend and we built a little bit of a friendship and then there was this retreat that we both went on yeah was it in November of 2005. And that was the first time that we met face to face uh, there. And I remember I pulled up, unpacked my bags. We sat, met face to face, and we talked for an hour and a half that first day and really just clicked. And 
he had built a quick, deep, and fast friendship from that point on, right? Yeah. I'll let you pick up. No, you can go ahead and finish. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So we were good, good friends for probably the course of the next year and some change. I was getting ready to move. So I just graduated from Baylor. Chandra was in her last year of school at Texas Women's up in Denton, Texas. And I was preparing to move to Denton, Texas that summer. And that summer we were in a phone call, had a conversation. And I told her that I liked it, right? I told her how I felt. And she reciprocated. She was getting ready to come in and meet me up at this uh, camp that I worked at. And after I told her, I just went internal and was like, I think I made the biggest mistake, right? Because, <laughs> oh, no. no, no, not in a bad way. But at this point, I had this habit, we'll call it Track that. Track record. Oh. Yeah, of, <laughs> of building friendships and thinking they were something that they weren't. And so I was just like really big on, this is how I feel. And I'm just going to tell you. And then three weeks later, I'd come back and I'd say, you know what? I don't think I felt quite as strongly as I said in the past. And uh, me and That Chandra gets you in trouble, a, man. That gets right, you in right, trouble. Right. A lot of broken hearts. <laughs> yeah. A lot, a lot of, of broken, broken hearts. hearts. So me and Chandra were such good friends that I got to a point where I felt like I don't want to mess up our friendship, right? Like, I, I cared about her too much as a friend. So I told her, it's like, yo, Chandra, I care too much about you as a friend. I don't want to mess this thing up the way that I have so many things in the past. So he took it back. Oh, he yeah. Did. So I take back what so I said. So I don't yeah. love you as much as I really. <laughs> so I do, yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, friends. Friends is friend what I want to be. And friend we're good friends. Now. We have a good thing going. <laughs> Let's not mess it up. And she was like, oh, yeah. I agree. I totally get it. It's fine. But then I hated his guts for and like man, months. You know that when your wife says, <laughs> it's fine. That it's not fine. Is it really fine? Ah. Right, right, right. And then there was beef for a while. Man, I wish I would hang on. I wish everyone could see Chandra's face. facial expressions while he's saying the story. He's still right paying for it to this day. Yeah. Well, we resolved the conflict at the same retreat that we met at a year later. And that was the thing that pushed me over the edge, right? Conflict was big for me. And I felt like there's no way I can move forward with anybody unless I know how we deal with conflict. And Mm -hmm. seeing us resolve that one was kind of, for me, the last thing that I needed to know. So that was October, November, like 4th of 06. It was a year from the day that we met. I took her to Subway because that was all I could afford at the time. And I sat down with her and it's like, yo, Chandra, this is how I really feel about you. And more than that, it's like you got the qualities that, yo, know, I think are in a wife. And I want us to really start to see if this thing heads that way. Um, six months later, I proposed that she said yes. Six months after that, we were married. So you forgave, Chandra. You forgave. She forgave. Yes. Or- <laughs> She's After in the year. process of forgiving. <laughs> we're still forgiving every day. 13 years later, 13 she's still years in the process later, we're of forgiving. Still forgiving. Yeah. Uh, so married 13 years. Mm-hmm. 13. Okay. And you, John, you're a pastor. And, uh-huh. and you both have started a church kind of together. Or what would you say, Chandra? John started it and you came along. Have you always thought that you wanted to be with him in this church planning, pastor, pastor's wife role, or did you never imagine that this would be your life? That's a great question, Andre. I would say when we first were engaged in preparing for marriage and he told me that this is what he wanted to do, I was all in, but I had no clue what that meant. Mm. I had no clue what it meant. (laughs) (laughs) You're so young and idealistic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, love, you know, will win at the end of the day. Like, that's how I felt. It's like, no matter what what we're doing in life, our love is bigger than that thing that I was unsure about or didn't know about. And so I was 100% on board in the beginning. Uh And then real life started to happen. And I think for me, I just had a number of 
crises Mm -hmm. (laughs) throughout our marriage, just trying to figure out how to handle the responsibility and weight of what we were doing and people's need for him as a pastor and what that meant for our family. And so I will say that I was initially on board, but um, I I feel like I still am, but in just a different way. Like my role just looks different. Unpack that a little bit. I mean, people have expectations, right? People have... yes. Endless needs, right? They have yes. Who know? Who knows what they bring into that? And also, movie. when you're yes. just starting, I mean, if you're, especially if we're talking about church planting, I mean, it's not like you've got all the funding for this massive staff, and you know, it, a right. lot of it just falls directly on the head pastor and the pastor's wife in so many ways, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we we had the experienced the first go-round when we planted the first church. We moved to Atlanta in 2009 to plant a church. Planted Blueprint Church with a group of folks in 2010. And so we were there for five years, six years. And then in 2015, we planted the church that we're at right now. So this was kind of like the church that we're part of now is kind of part two. Learn from all the mistakes (laughs) that you made the first time. There you go, yeah. And try to do better. But even in that first experience with John being kind of the number two guy, I mean, it was just the precursor for what we live now. I mean, and honestly, just as many expectations as people had of us, I feel like me personally, I can't speak for you, but I feel like me personally, I had expectations for myself that may have been unrealistic or unhealthy. Yeah. So what were some of those? Yeah. So to be perfect. Yeah. To be perfect all the time and to know all the answers and to to give of myself endlessly and never be tired or or never run out of energy or never need time for myself or to demand his time. Mm. You know, I placed that expectation on myself that since he had this great role, it was unfair of me to ask for the things that I needed in our marriage. Yeah. So just to name a few. Yeah, Yeah. no. And uh, I'm sure that that caused a lot of conflict between both of you. Is that in some... 100%. You'd be surprised. Like, we are the least conflict-averse couple you could ever meet in Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But John, what are you on the Enneagram, John? I know Chandra's a one. What are you? A two. A two. Okay. So the helper. Yeah. Mm, two and three. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Give us a scenario. Give us a crisis scenario and how you figured this out, how you came to each other, how you, how things changed. So year one of the church plant, uh, we have a date to launch the church June 7th, 2015. April 14th, 2015, my 32-year-old brother dies. So... Six weeks before we're getting ready to launch this church, my brother dies and me being the helper that I am and feeling like I need to be there for everybody else, you know, I'm out of pocket for two weeks, you know, funerals, being with family, burying him, and then come back and I'm in a depression. So I'm at home. Me and Chandra don't really talk much. Uh, I'm laying in the room all day, uh, dark room. And then when we step out of the house, I feel the need to be everything for everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. And so it was just this kind of undue strain where, you know, Chandra was getting the worst of it and I'm physically exhausted and emotionally exhausted And she's trying to care after me and say, yo, John, you really need to chill. There's a team. Like, you don't need to be all this stuff for everybody else. And I think my bruised ego and emotional frailty, I'm snapping back at her and getting mad and upset. And so these these like weeks uh, starting to lead up to this church is just, it's crazy. Just the house, the home filled with tension. And so it all came to a head where May, this is a week before we're getting ready to start this church and we're going to have a service 
a Saturday, like eight days before the church launches. And on a Friday, Chandra just gets to the point where she's like, I can't, like, you're not listening to me. And we had a conflict that ended up with like her just saying, like, I just need you to hear me and walks out of the house. And so at this point, it's like, I'm supposed to preach the next day. I've got all these concerns. (laughs) (laughs) And I just call the rest of my friends. uh, Is this when I packed the bag? Pastors, yeah. Okay. Oh, Uh, I love it. Packed the bag. Packed the bag bag and was like, I was out. We can't make this work. Yes, this is. Yes. And so I call like Richard Tripp and Mo, the other guys at the time, and they come to the house and they sit down with me and you know, they console me, but they also say, John, you're tripping. And Trip's like, yo, I'll preach this, this, this. And so they they just friends come through and take care of all of the externals. And then they help to like say, all right, this is what you need to say. This is what you need to do. This is how we need to come together. And they really came and helped to just recalibrate and remind, I think, me about the importance of family and what we're trying to do here. And that trumps any Mm. expectation that anybody else has on the outside. And so, yeah, I think in our steepest conflict, uh, one of the greatest gifts has been friends from the outside that Mm. help us move past our stubbornness. We've had these exact moments. I don't think you've ever packed a bag. I think if, I've kicked you out of the house. And yeah, the for the door. most part, it'd be my bag <laughs> that would have had a bit. But um, he leaves. I stay in my bed. <laughs> it's funny. It's like I. I think it's beautiful that the community came around you. I remember. I. I know there's like moments though in our scenario where it's like my community, my friends said the same thing that Andre said. And she's like, why didn't you listen to me? That's exactly what I've been saying for the last six months, right? (laughs) Why do you got to listen to this person about it? But I think in the midst of the community, if you really care for community, then you're like, it's going to take more. We need those voices in our lives, right? Is that a fair way to look at it? Yeah, absolutely. I say all the time, we would not be married today if it weren't for our friends. Oh, yeah. Like, mm-hmm. 100%. They have kept us on the straight and narrow path mm-hmm. and committed to each other. 100%. Yeah. Is that hard yeah. when your friends are in the church? No. No. Because our real friends, like the people that we do life with and lock arms with, they don't see John as pastor John. Yeah. They don't see me as John's wife. You know, they yeah. they don't see us with rose-colored glasses. They honestly see us for who we are yeah. and have been there with us even before we planted churches and, you know, mm-hmm. done great. all these things in life. Yeah. Over the years, I think we've learned to make the distinction. I have just being a friendly person. I used to try to be everybody's friend and I realized how terrible that was for me and them. So I think recently we've made the distinction in between like, oh, no, no, no. Like, I want folks at the church to know, you know, I'm all of y'all's pastor, Mm. but we're not friends, right? And yeah, yeah, it sounds harsh, right? Sounds mean. But there's not. I think it's a healthy boundary, right? It's a healthy boundary. Yeah. 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 So I have friends and I'm happy to be your pastor, but I'm not your friend, and I'd make a terrible friend to <laughs> everybody. Hundreds of yeah. you, right? Yeah, yeah. So let me have my friends, like y'all have your friends. Yeah, and we'll all be better because of it. So Chandra, I mean, you kind of talked about the feelings of feeling the need to be perfect, and also all the self-sacrificing, and you know, John talked about his evolution from the, you know, his twoness of being there for everybody. What has been your evolution in your letting go of those expectations, that perfectionist mindset that all us ones seem to have, and also the self-sacrificing that we women seem to always do? Yeah, I would say that I have built great boundaries (laughs) around myself, my child specifically, um, and just our family in general. And have begun to understand what is most life-giving to us and what serves us. Mm -hmm. 
And I know that sounds countercultural with regard to like the Christian uh, world, but I feel like a lot of our friends who are also in ministry, they have neglected to do this and have suffered great consequences as a result. And I do not want for my marriage to fall apart as a result of ministry. And Mm -hmm. so I'm going to protect that at all costs, which means if we say it's family time or it's date night or our time, put that phone down or turn it off. Um, Because whoever is trying to reach you at this point, that is not more important than this. Because essentially, like my, my, partnership with John is allowing him to do the things to serve the people that he's serving. So it's like, without that partnership, I'm not sure that his ministry could be as effective. Yeah. Just helping people to understand that. And then just with regard to like our daughter, um, you know, people are very kind and sometimes overtly, um, Grabby. Grabby. <laughs> and just excited. I mean, you know, they just get excited because it's yeah. the pastor's kid. Yeah. But I have, you know, just established really good boundaries for her and just telling people, you know, if she doesn't want to say hi to you, then she doesn't. And that's fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or, you know, please don't touch her. You don't know her. Right. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You know, just trying to protect us all from the craziness and the beautiful stuff, yeah. too. Sometimes that just becomes too much ministry so you guys are like prolific uh starters like i you mean you're not well i'm I, this isn't this <laughs> interview is not about me it's, it's about like, <laughs> it's just like you i mean yeah. one thing i love about you guys is you're prolific that's starters. why that's why he's, <laughs> that's what i'm saying this is why he's like commenting on it because he does love that no yeah. so like now in the last year you started another thing you started yeah and you guys have been Dreaming about this for a while. Yeah. So tell us about the process, because this is different. This is not a church. No, it's not. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us a little bit about what has happened. stepping out into this new venture. Yeah, together and with other partners, too. Yeah. Yeah. First of all, I think this is in some ways, right? And not to sound sacrilegious, but in some ways, it's more life-giving than Mm -hmm. starting a church. Mm. And that we get the permission to be human, the yeah. freedom to just hit, like not, there's no huge expectations to be something that we're not, right? We've been saying, we're human, we're human, we're human. And this is a venture to be able to mm-hmm. kind of dive into that realm. And Jeff, you know, when we decided to get into coffee, this was what, 2018, me and Chandra were in Spain, and you were one of the first people that I called. I know. Uh, I was getting text yeah. messages from you. You were in a coffee shop in Spain. I was like, what are they Spain, doing? Spain, it's like, yo, Jeff. <laughs> I'm going to do this got to do this, man. We got to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, after we came back from Spain and knew this was the direction that we wanted to head into, I think we sat down and were just realistic. And it's like, all right, I can quit my job as a pastor, go work as a barista, Um, for a few years, work my way up until I learned this whole thing, build my way up to a manager. And then in six years, learn all that I need to know to be able to start this shop. But then it's like, on one hand, we're still trying to eat, right? Yeah. Uh, You got a family. Yeah. And on another hand, it was still this sense of call to do that. So we just stepped back and said, yeah, we've really got to have a team, right? So it's like, just waiting and on it, God to bring the right team. And just through the years, through conversations that we've had with folks, we saw that team started to form and conversations that we had about coffee were met with people. Like it used to just be folks that would say, ah, that's interesting. But then we started to meet folks that would say, me too. Mm-hmm. Me too. Mm-hmm. And so it was like, all right, yo, what would it look like for us to do this? And so we officially decided to partner together really about a year ago now. So it was like August. And we pulled together the little resources that we had and felt that the story and the narrative would drive it all. And launched a Kickstarter in December and 
felt that our runway was going to be super long. And yeah, that runway feels kind of like a rocket ship, right? In these Mm -hmm. past few months, Mm -hmm. instead of just this slow climb, it really feels like things have blasted off. And I think, again, it's all because of that team that we have in place. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how we are continually so fortunate to be surrounded by people with such great talent. But these, I mean, like, I just think about each person. I'm just like, they're, each of them are brilliant in their own World way. World class, everybody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So share what's happened. Like, really, Chandra, like, you launched in December, uh-huh. really started shipping out coffee at, right after the new year, Jan- end of January. February. 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 Mm-hmm. Okay, February. You <laughs> yeah. sign a lease on a, on yeah. a space. You're thinking, oh, let's open up a coffee shop, right? Right. Yep. And then the pandemic hits. And then right. what happened? Well, initially, I thought, oh, snap. This is about to be really bad. Yeah. (laughs) This is not going to survive. And then just as the weeks went on, like the support of like people and our friends and strangers we've never met. Yeah. I'm just astounded by it. Yeah. Yeah. There was an article that we read called Welcome to the Ice Age, where this one guy at the beginning of the pandemic, he said, some people in business think this is the pandemic is going to be a snowstorm that they're just going to have to do things for a few weeks and change up. Some people think this is a bad winter. He's like, the people that are going to thrive are those that say, no, this is the ice age. You fundamentally have to reorder what you did. And so we're like, all right, let's start this shop and let's roast on the side to cut our cost of goods sold in half and all this stuff. And we flip-flopped that and said, nah, let's really lean into roasting and see where that takes us. And it was just the perfect storm at a time when everybody that's used to paying $5 per day at a Starbucks on their way to work can no longer commute to work. They say, wait a minute, I can do this from home. And that paired with the excellent product that we have from the team, just paired with wanting to change the picture that comes to mind when people think of black coffee, right? That one of the things that we know is that coffee grows uh, where black and brown folks grow. But as you look at the picture of specialty coffee in the U.S., it doesn't resemble the originators. And so Mm -hmm. we really had a heart to tell the stories of people that get photoshopped out of history Mm. this summer. Breonna Taylor, Mm -hmm. that came to light. Uh, Maud Arbery, George Floyd, there in that one week. And those things mixed with a pandemic where people are forced to be at home and really wrestle with the injustices that go on in our world, right? There's no sports to distract you, no date nights. Like, you are at home and you have to wrestle. And then they start to read history and fight with facts and dates. And then they start to think about solutions. And while everybody has this uh, collective conscience awakening across industries, people are saying, wait a minute, there's something that we can do with our dollars to help communities like this thrive. Mm -hmm. And then they're tuned into portrait and all of this stuff. And so it was just, again, just this perfect storm of Providence and favor and grace and with the right team at the right time and the rocket ship. And it exploded. And y'all are killing yeah. it. Exploded. <laughs> we drank your coffee yeah. this morning, by the way, yes. to celebrate there our There we go. To celebrate right. our interview. We did. Come on. Hopefully yeah. you feel perked up. Yeah. 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 It's one of my favorites. <laughs> favorites. Yeah. That's awesome. It's been fun to just watch that. And mm-hmm. and I think yeah. I'm curious, like, as a couple. How has this work been different than the previous startup? Like, how has it either brought you together or been different in your relationship than the last startup? I think for me, it's having John really see and understand. And not that he didn't. There just wasn't a place for me to operate fully in the church plant. But for him to see, like, like... I'm your equal, man. Oh, man. <laughs> She's killing it. So I got it just like it. you do. Oh, you know, yeah. like in the church world, he, he's the man. Like, you know, like people love him. He's the guy. And I'm just kind of the wife waving hello. <laughs> but here it's, you know, 
I think he's getting to witness like the full breadth of my creativity and um, the work that I do on a daily basis. And I'm getting to experience and encourage him more and more each day to communicate like he does. Like, I mean, he's the storyteller of the brand. And so, you know, I keep trying to tell him he should just be doing that for a living. But (laughs) (laughs) how does that feel to you, Chandra? Like, I mean, you said it, but how does it make you feel when knowing that there's like a true partnership, a true partnership? Yeah. Yeah. Grateful. It's something that I've always wanted throughout our marriage. And if I can speak candidly, there's just no place for women in the Christian church in the way that he has a place. And so it's just nice to be walking together in the same direction and be noticed as my own person while we're doing that. Yeah. That's interesting to think about it from the church standpoint, but also in the coffee industry. It's. I'm guessing it's been a primarily white industry, right? Well, so it has. It, and so, like, not only from that aspect, from your historical aspect, but also in the progressing project you're doing, you're experiencing it in, in another layer. Is that a, f- a fair way to say it? Yeah. 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 But I feel like that's most of what we do in life as Black people. Yeah. Like, the church. We mostly function... In a, a white world, I would say. Yeah, so in the spaces that I occupied and wrote and spoke, you know, our church is predominantly Black and the community that we live in is that. But then outside of Atlanta, you know, from the schools that I've went to to that, like it's a predominantly white male dominated space in the segment, I think, of Christianity that we have been a part of and yeah. There has been influence and those things are starting to change as well Absolutely. too. Um as we've like stepped away from certain associations and have pursued involvement with other places. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So to your question, I don't think that navigating this world is new for us. Right. <laughs> it seems like it brings you more freedom, like this yes. inner freedom. That yes. you can be fully you, which is your black self with right. all the history, with everything unfolding and getting yeah. to be fully you. Is that true? Yeah. Yeah. And I don't want to make, you know, the role of the church or anything, but it's just free of expectations. Yeah. And we can just be and exist in this space, I yeah. think. Yeah. That it's publicly for the first time. In my adult life, there's a segment of people that have met me publicly as an entrepreneur and a person and a human, right? Yeah. Most times the public introduction has been pastor. And although I feel like, nah, pastor, like, it makes me human because I'm just forced to wrestle with a bunch of different perspectives of different people pastoring, it doesn't make me less human. It actually makes me more human. But the perception of people is that it makes me less. So being introduced as a pastor just it narrows in you. people's minds. It narrows. Oh, man. It just immediately yeah. it just pigeonholes you. Yes. Mm-hmm. And as an entrepreneur and a creative, you get to be you. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's and beautiful. That's been liberating. And yeah. freeing and fun. And fun. Yeah. So fun. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'd love to switch gears a little bit uh, about hmm. kind of how you also made a decision to create your family. Uh, mm-hmm. You yeah. have adopted a beautiful girl. I would love to hear yeah. kind of your story along that path and what made you choose that route. So when we got married in 2007, we knew that adoption would be a part of our story somehow. We just didn't think it would be the primary means of growing our family. Mm. And so, you know, we wanted a lot of children. And so when we started to, you know, grow our family, which was, I think, like three, three, months, three months. You were serious. Like, Let's you were serious. What is wrong with us? What is wrong with us? So three months in, we start, you know, trying to have a family. 
And things, you know, are taking a little while. We went to, you know, I visited the doctor a year after we initially started trying. And she just said, you know, give it another year and then we'll, you know, do some further testing. So I got a few tests in and found a couple of like minor issues with our biological (laughs) makeup. Right. Um, And we thought, okay, easy, quick fix. Let's move on. And we continued to try and just nothing was happening. Yeah. And on the flip side of that, every single friend we had who was married around the time that we were, were getting pregnant. Popping them out. Back to back to back. On accident. On accident. That's even worse. I mean, not on accident. They know what they're doing. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know. Yeah. Yeah, and it was just this wild season where we're holding and consoling our friends who are in shock at the, you know, quickness with which they are conceiving children and going home and then crying in each other's arms that we weren't the people who are in their position. Yeah. And this went on for years. And then we ended up moving to Atlanta. And then at some point, you know, John brought up adoption and I was not trying to hear it. Mm, That's interesting. It's usually the other way around. So tell me what, what were you not hearing? I think what was at the heart of it was that Chandra was grieving the infertility. Mm-hmm. And emotionally, I think I was numb. Suppressing. And so it. thought that. Mm-hmm. So you're problem yeah, the, solving. Yeah. Always. So. <laughs> yeah. I confused emotional suppression with emotional maturity. Like, I ah, just didn't affect me as much. And let's move on. And so I'm starting to problem solve. And I think it hit Chandra just in turn, like, yo, I don't feel like we've grieved this. I'm mm-hmm. grieving in isolation mm-hmm. while you're trying to get a baby. And mm-hmm. so I think that was off-putting. Mm-hmm. And then I think for me, I got to a point where years in, I was like, I remember I had the thought of not now. But what if this is a not ever? What if we never have kids walk? Mm. What if I never get to walk through the mall and somebody says, your daughter looks just like you? Mm. And then I came back to Chandra then. It's like, yo, this might not ever happen. Mm. And she was like, yeah, that's what I've been saying, right? Like, that's what she's <laughs> grieving the whole time. That's what she's grieving. Where you and so weren't then, there yet, yeah. Yeah, and so I think it was... After the other side of that, once we were able to grieve Mm. together, that there was a, okay, I think we're ready to do this Mm. thing. Yeah. And then that was the beginning of another terrible, terrible journey. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Yeah. Is adoption a terrible journey? (laughs) Well, our adoption story is pretty rough. The first part. Yeah. We decided to go through the state yeah, and mm-hmm. we're going through the state of Georgia. And the advice that we got was the fewer constraints that you have, the better. So we said, all right, January 2012, let's start this. No constraints. The race of the kid doesn't matter. We'll take up to three kids at a time. Doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. We'll take all types of mental and emotional challenges. It doesn't matter. The age of the kids. It doesn't matter. And at this time, you had to be at least 10 years older. Older than the children you were adopting. So we threw off all the constraints like they told us. Like, okay, we'll be a middle schooler. (laughs) We thought it would be a, you know, six-month journey. And it turned into four and a half years Mm -hmm. of just, yeah. So, I mean, we could do a whole episode on the the incompetence, the frustration, the... Me driving up to places when our state-funded adoption agency closed. And we said, how do they close if the state gives them money? Mm. And they said, yo, it would be like somebody failing gym class. Like, you have to try. So then it was, they wouldn't send our home study to the group that we were trying to work through until money changed hands. So it was me driving up and say, yo, I'm just going to be the angry black man. And I sat in the lobby (laughs) and said, I'm not leaving until I get the homestead. So y'all call who you need to call, call, 
photocopy the joints and I'm not going to leave until we have it in hand. And so all of that stuff that we had to go through and hang on, you know, it's a whole other trauma in itself. I mean, yeah. Oh my goodness. Hang on. So as John is kind of logistically sharing the process and the story, (sighs) Chandra is right next to him. There's a lot of emotions. This is very personal. And I know people are listening to this that are sitting yeah. in the middle of all of it, right? Yeah, like, yeah. What What would you say to them? They're in the middle of the the long journey, whatever, wherever they're at, whatever they're trying to do. adoption, yeah. foster. What would you say? I would start off, and I would say, um, feel what you feel, right? right. Uh, don't decide what to do with your emotions before you actually feel them. So I think there's probably a lot of men out there that maybe feel sad, angry, or hurt. And the first thing that they think of when they feel those things is, I don't want to feel that way. So let me like decide what to do with those before I know what those are like. And it's like, no, you've got to feel what you feel. Uh, emotions aren't bad um, or good. They are signposts. They're meant to move you somewhere. They're vehicles. And so I would say you got to feel what you feel and explore and not tell yourself what to feel. If you feel sad, feel sad, feel hurt. Mm -hmm. Um, That it is. It's a broken system that doesn't move until money changes. It's a broken system and greed has seeped into it. And you've got to feel that and be angry and sad and know that it's okay. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what I would say. I think, and just as I'm sitting here now, like just as you can hear probably, <laughs> just I think emotions are coming up for me because it just internally I'm recalling like how it felt in that time. Mm-hmm. Like it was just, I just, I mean, the only word I can think of is just like despair. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And just like, not knowing if it would ever end, like, would we ever, mm. like, be able to grow our family? Mm. Like, would we ever get the joy of saying, you know, look at, you know, the baby walk today or, you know, like, <laughs> whatever the, you know, mm-hmm. thing, weird, all the weird things that parents do and love about their kids, mm-hmm. you know, that probably nobody else cares about. But still, mm-hmm. thinking, like, back to that time and just remembering the despair, but also thinking like the beauty and the joy that we have yeah. on this side. And like, I would do that over and over and over again. Yeah. If it meant like at the end of the day, we get Ava. Yeah. You know? So it yeah. was worth it. Every it was last so piece of heartbreak it. was worth it. Yeah. So you have beautiful Ava. How did the story turn to? So I met with a friend, a mutual friend of ours, actually, Callie. Mm -hmm. We have been trying to get lunch together, oddly, for like three years. But she has like 16 kids, so it's very difficult. She has so many children. (laughs) Very difficult. In life, I mean, life, you know, we were planning churches and, you know, so many things in life prevented this lunch. But when it was time... It happened so easily. Oh, my goodness. So we set up a lunch. I think it took, like, a few days to set this lunch up. And, you know, we're just talking. And she's like, how's your adoption process? Because, you know, we kept in contact but didn't get to get together. And she's like, how's your adoption process? And I'm like, we just kind of gave up. We're taking a break. And she's like, you should think about our agency. And she, you know, told me about her agency, told me about people that she was working with. And as she's naming people, I'm like, oh, snap, I know this person. I didn't know that they worked in adoptions because I met them at a creative event. Right. And they they just happened to do photography on the side. And so it was just like, whoa, like, this is kind of cool. So she's like, just reach out. Reached out, uh, started the paperwork in August, the pre-app, and finished our actual application and classes in October. Yeah. We had to break because of the holidays. February, we February, started our home visit. The, we were yeah. finalizing the application. Yeah. We get an email about a girl, baby girl, yeah. uh, born between 30, 31 weeks in the NICU. And do you want to show your book, your profile book? And we're like, yes, sure. That was Saturday. Yeah. By Monday, 
at noon, I got a call saying that we had been selected to be her parents. It went so fast. like. And this is the crazy part. April the 10th of 2015, me and Chandra were in Savannah preparing to meet a girl that we were going to adopt, a one-year-old girl. This is two years prior. We're there all week. They call us April the 10th and they say, it's a no-go. They didn't pick y'all. I got mad. They took us off the case. And so we drive back home, sad that we didn't get chosen. April 14th, 2015, my brother dies and takes his last breath. That same year. Two years later, April 10th, we get the call that they selected us for Ava. Ava. She's in the NICU. She's on a ventilator. She's on a ventilator. Mm -hmm. April the 14th. So two years from the day my brother takes his last breath. It's Good Friday. I'm holding her. The doctor comes over and says, today's the day that she breathes on her own. Before I knew it, he whisked her away and brings her back without the breathing machine. And so two years from the day. So I'm sitting there in the room and... Losing his Yeah, mind. losing it. <laughs> I oh lost it. And it was just so, just the like full circle yeah, of the way that just things yeah, yeah. just worked out. And Man, so now every year, April 1st, you're like, Ooh, what is going to happen this month? What's going to happen? Like, you start bracing. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. And I mean, she flew, I mean, she was supposed to be in NICU for like three months. She flew through NICU in like, Three and a half weeks. A little jailbird ready to break out. <laughs> <laughs> and every, I mean, literally every single time a doctor or a specialist or somebody's like, yo, she's she's delayed or she's behind or she has this issue, like she like crushes it Man. every single time. And it's just so sweet to like watch her grow. And like now she's just like this little person who, you know, talks. And- she's a fighter. She's so free-spirited and feisty and fearless and just everything I would have ever wanted in a child. Yeah, yeah. I love so. it. It's great. Just like her yeah, mama. Yeah, awesome. Just like her yeah, mama. Just like her mom. Let me tell you. <laughs> Sheesh. Isn't it funny? I do this with my adopted child. I'm like, she got that from me. You know, like <laughs> like she's got my genes. Seriously. But I believe it. I I forget. forget. You totally forget. And you're like, I know she's got it somehow. Yeah. Yeah. Through osmosis. Yeah. I think, uh, (laughs) wow, I think your vulnerability is really going to connect with a lot of people. Um, Mm. Just like Mm -hmm. you guys had a long journey to that moment. And there's a lot of people that are having long journeys. You know, yeah. which is insane. Why is this still happening? Especially when there's such a great need, you know, it's so, it's so need, sad man. that the need is so great, but the system is yeah. so broken that you can't bridge and connect that quicker and yeah. easier. And yeah. Well, that's the next thing that we are going to start. Ah, yes. <laughs> yeah. I was waiting. Start another thing. Start no, really. Yeah. yeah. So we're basically starting like we've been grateful for the networks and the platforms that we've had and it enabled us to overcome really this insurmountable what seemed like an insurmountable debt or cost to raise the funds to adopt privately and just we know the people that we know who don't have the same um yes networks that we just kind of want to be that bridge or that platform to raise funds to be able to fully fund uh, adoptions for minority couples. So that's actually, yeah, that's the next thing. Emphasis on fully funded. On our docket and pre-COVID, we were, we aimed at getting it launched. So, yeah. It's coming. I love it. Another thing. So, yeah, (laughs) look out for it. There you go. The endless starting. You're a serial entrepreneur. I've discovered that about ish. myself. Yeah. Ish. I'm like ish. <laughs> yeah. I don't think there's an ish. I think it's for real. <laughs> this does lead us to our final question. And okay. um, I think. So soon? Yeah. Oh, no. It's, it's yeah. just flown by. 
but I am a wreck. I, I mean, we did like, pull some good emotions out my of these two today. This is good. <laughs> I didn't know where we were going to take this today, but it went there. This is good. Um, our final question we ask every couple we have on here. Mm-hmm. Uh, my opinion is you guys are living this with your lives, but is it possible to change the world, stay in love, and raise a healthy family? Can I say hell yeah? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You can do anything. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yes. I think with the help of a village, right, that it would be impossible for me and Chandra to do that, just me and Chandra. So, but I think with the team and the friends we have, it's absolutely possible. Agreed. And now it's time for the breakdown. I had to pull myself together. Yeah, before. you. Yeah, you did. Lots of tears and tissues and snotty noses. Another incredible interview. Where it's the first time that the couple has ever done an interview together. I love it when it's the first times, the first timers. Yeah. <laughs> The first time. Oh, uh, there's so many things, so many things that I really enjoyed about this. One of the biggest things for me uh, was very helpful is this idea of the emotional suppression, which then will just like lead somebody straight into problem solving and how he talked about how it took him a long time to realize he needed to grieve Mm. before going into problem solving mode. And I am a problem solver. I am a one. This is what I think about. This is, I want to fix it. I want to move on. And it was really good to hear that, to remind myself specifically to sit in feeling what I need to feel and being okay to staying in that vulnerable, I don't like that place. It makes me super uncomfortable, but to stay there before I jump into problem solving mode, because I do that very quickly. I mean, over a year ago, I wouldn't have, wouldn't even known how to respond to this. Now, when I'm in that moment, I pull out the the wheel. Yes, the wheel of the emotion, emotions, the feelings wheel, mm-hmm. um, which to me has been something that actually. I mean, it's, I feel when I said that, I feel like I'm four years old. Like what? <laughs> It's given me language mm-hmm. to express what I feel. So that's been helpful. And I think I think it's been, it was really interesting for them to kind of openly share about the emotional process that it has taken to forming this family that they have. It's mm-hmm. it's hard. And I think as I was getting into this, I was just thinking about so many friends that are in this mm. moment right now. And um yeah, I, I, there's not like, I'm glad they didn't, I asked them like, what would you say to them? And they had some things they were say, but it but wasn't like, it like wasn't problem solving. It. Yeah. yeah, no, there wasn't problem solving. Um, mm-hmm. I felt like that was really good. I also want to share about just the moment they're having of liberation. It, what's really interesting and beautiful for me is that they were previously in these startup scenarios with churches that would only celebrate one of the people Mm. and to find this new genre of entrepreneurship where they can be in it together and and celebrate both of them. Yeah. Their abilities Mm -hmm. together as a partner. I think that is at the core of all the stuff that we do here. Well, and it's, I mean, it speaks to what we always talk about, about falling in love with your partner's purpose right. in a sense. Like I think John has been able to now see Chandra in a new light yeah, and has been able to now see her creativity and celebrate that with her because he's seeing the impact it makes on their organization together. And I think it's beautiful. It's, it's brought new life to them. Well, I, and I think about that. I think about that for you and I, like when you get to that level, the attraction goes beyond these, I don't know, physical things. It goes into something so much deeper mm-hmm. of a connection with this person that you already love, but even it's like you get to another depth of mm-hmm. intimacy mm-hmm. and beauty. And like, I, I feel like we could see it on their face, the, the, the connection mm-hmm. they're having right now is beautiful. It really is. Listen, this has been an incredible time with, with John and Chandra. I'm, I'm very thankful for them. If you have not had their coffee yet, oh my Please go goodness. follow at Portrait Coffee. Yeah, you'll be inspired by their storytelling and you'll be 
You'll be thankful that you ordered the coffee. I'll be honest with you about that. Yes, it's amazing. And that's another episode of Love or Work. was recorded by our favorite Matt Owen for Soul Graffiti Productions. <laughs>